to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. As a deer in the scripture comes from the prophet Isaiah. Hear God's word to you and to me, to them, to the people of the New Testament, to us. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on your ancestral house such days as have not come since the day Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, open our hearts and prepare the way that your child might have a home in us. Amen. The angel said to him, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear you a son And you're the name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Those latter words are the more traditional words you would hear on the fourth Sunday of Advent, supposedly quoting the prophet Isaiah that this virgin would conceive and bear a son. Yet if you were listening to that fifth gospel, to the prophet Isaiah, if you are listening closely, you would notice that Isaiah does not mention any virgin. Why? See, long before the tyrannical times under which the Virgin Mary subverts the power of Caesar Augustus, Isaiah pulls us into a very different geopolitical battle. You have the Syro-Ephraimite conflict. Everybody's favorite war, right? 
described in chapter 7 of Isaiah. Surely we all know about this. I knew nothing. I spent a lot of time studying this week. You have the powers of Damascus joining with the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember, Israel had been split at two at this point. You have the faithful kingdom of Judah in the south of King Ahaz, the unfaithful kingdom of Israel in the north. And the unfaithful kingdom of the north and Damascus and the powers of Syria are trying to get their powers together to fight off the even larger empire of Assyria to the north. They want a king in the southern kingdom that will do what they say. So they mount an unsuccessful attack to take down Ahaz in the southern kingdom. But they're unsuccessful. But it scared them. It scared them a lot. Enough that in verse 2 of the chapter it says, When the house of David heard that Aram had allied itself with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Do any of us here know what it feels like to be afraid of what's going on in the geopolitical sphere? Have any of us shook like the trees shake before the wind, not knowing what the larger powers are doing around us, to us. They were certainly scared. And in this context of the 700s BCE, God speaks through Isaiah and tells King Ahaz that he will give him any sign Really, King Ahaz, I will give any sign to you from the depths of Sheol to the heights of heaven, anything you want. And how does Ahaz respond? Oh, I, I, I don't want to test God. Kind of reminds me of the, one of the very first email stories that became viral back when email was in its infancy. The man who learned that a flood was coming and so he prayed to God to save him. So first a truck comes by and says, Buddy, you got to get out of your house. There's a flood coming. He says, No, I'm praying to God to save me. The waters rise up. He's on the second floor of his house. And a boat comes by and says, Hey, buddy, you got to leave. The flood is going to kill you. And he says, No, I'm praying to my God to save me. Of course, then he ends up on the roof. And a helicopter comes by and says, Buddy, come on. We're going to get you out of here. We're going to save you. And he says, No, I'm praying to my God to save me. I have faith. So he dies. He goes to heaven and says, God, I prayed and I had faith in you. What, what happened? And God says, I sent you a truck and a boat and a helicopter. What more did you want? Certainly there's an aspect of this for Ahaz. He doesn't want to be inconvenienced with the way God is bringing forth the future. I've often heard it's easier to receive than to give. But I think many in the Western world know this to be a lie. In my short time in this earth, I have found it is much harder to receive than it is to give. All our models of charity are based on this, right? Let me send you some money because, you know, I've got it together and you need my help. All of our ways of helping others are based on this. Let me do this for you, since you can't do it on your own. Presbyterians, being historically one of the wealthiest denominations in this country, 
haven't had to do a whole lot of receiving in the past. And without practice, who knows whether we're going to get much good at it. Ahaz has this aspect that you and I need to practice this Christmas season. Humility and vulnerability. Perhaps if we know what it's like to shake before the very powers of geopolitical anarchy surrounding us, perhaps we also know what it's like to not be able to celebrate humility and vulnerability. To see how in the public sphere those are called down as evil. The good things would be strong, have a strong opinion, not to listen to other people, but to know what's happening, right? Isaiah knows that it's going to be hard for Ahaz to be vulnerable and humble, so he gives him a sign anyway. First he chastises Ahaz, and then comes the sign. First he says, here then, house of David, is it too little to weary you mortals, then you would weary my God also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. In Hebrew, that word Alma does indeed mean young woman. So how do we get a virgin in the New Testament? Well, around the 3rd century BCE, folks come together and translate the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek, and we call this the Septuagint. And by far, that was the most widely accessible version of the Old Testament to the Mediterranean world, especially at the time of Jesus. This would have been what Matthew and the other New Testament writers had at their disposal as they're writing their story of Jesus' life. And so these folks, this point in time are looking for a sign themselves. They're looking for a sign of what was going on, especially the writers of Matthew and the other books in the New Testament. They're looking back on the life of Jesus and said, what, what is happening? And they see this translation from the Hebrew to the Greek, which changes the word from young woman to virgin. And they say, aha, that's it. That's what God was up to. God was giving us a sign just like God was with King Ahaz, and that's how God was with us in Jesus. This is how God is showing up. For a long time, people thought this was problematic, but I don't think so. It's only problematic if you're obsessed with Mary's virginity. It's not problematic if you're obsessed with the presence of God in this world. Delmer Chilton is one of my favorite pastors who uh, releases his sermons. In one of his sermons, he talks about these texts of Isaiah and Joseph taking the call to be Jesus' dad. He sees this through the lens of the theologically appropriate show Seinfeld. Because at one point, Elaine calls her dentist a re-gifter. A re-gifter. Because the dentist gave Jerry a label maker that Elaine had given him, the dentist, a year before. Regifting. Chilton continues, I think that some discreet regifting can be a good thing. Often someone out of the goodness of their heart gives you something that you can't possibly use or appreciate with the full devotion 
that it so richly deserves. So out of the fullness of your heart, you carefully find an opportunity to rewrap it, relabel it, and regift it to someone who will surely use and appreciate it more than you ever will. Our text today is a case study in theological regifting. Millennia have passed since the 700s in Isaiah's context of the beginning of the first century and the birth of the Christ. And here in 2016, we once again look at this story and see the one consistent gift that's been given to all of us. The birth of a child proclaiming the presence of God. Now, any of you who've been around children know that you don't have to have Jesus in your lap to be able to see the very presence of God. The gift of a child is a huge gift indeed. Cliché you always hear is that your world changes when you have a child. This, this is true. This is very true. What strikes me when I thought deeper, though, about this gift and the different context we find ourselves in today is how it not just changes your daily life, but how it can change your entire framework if you're willing to think through it theologically and spiritually. Certainly this happened when I held my first child in my arms, and then again with Henry, and then again with Eliza, and soon here in March, our fourth. There is wonder. Wonder, that elusive emotion that is so hard to feel in this world. And we've prescribed everything down to the molecular level. Wonder. And trying to understand how holding this child in my arms produces a sense of wonder in me came more clearly through a writing workshop. I was at a few years ago. And the author who was teaching us made it clear that in order to make something accessible to the larger public, you need to describe it in as deep of detail as possible. For example, I could tell you about a brown chair, and you might think that's nice. But it's much nicer as if I tell you about the brown leatherback chair with carved wooden eagles perched at the handles, cold from the dampness of a long winter's night. Which one do you like better? There's a way in which specificity, even in writing, creates a larger frame of reference. And I discovered that holding my children in its specificity created a larger frame of reference for me. Drew me out of the particularities that I'd been in just minutes before, of the room in which we were and, and the chaos of birth and all of a sudden being forced to look up in wonder and awe. Asking myself big questions like, where is God in the midst of the infinite stars? What is the nature of this boundless creation in which I'm participating mostly in this one small region, in this one speck of a planet, in this tiny dust of a galaxy, in the infinite cosmos. And in the midst of looking into my child's eyes, of being 
pushed beyond my reach, I begin to ask, what is God's plan for me? Certainly you've felt moments like this. Maybe it wasn't with a child. I think you can have it happen when you're taking care of your parents. I think it can happen when you're looking at a waterfall. I think there's a lot of ways that you can feel small in order to get big. But in today's text, it is a child who reminds us of the wonder of creation. It's a child that reminds us that our God is a kind of Emmanuel God. It's a God that's with us, that despite the vastness of the cosmos and the billions of years of its age and the unknown amount of stars, in the midst of all that, God comes with us. We get this realization, and then we have choices. The choices are in the story of Ahaz or in the story of Joseph in front of the angel. Ahaz, as you saw, chose not to receive that gift very willingly. He thought he had it all together. He had already repelled the strong Syro-Ephraimite army once. He had it together. On the other hand was Joseph, who, despite his fear, his weariness, knew that somehow in the vulnerability and the pain of being shunned by a community because all of a sudden this woman that he was supposed to marry in the future was already pregnant, that receiving that God with us in that moment was somehow the only way he was going to find peace in the chaos of this world. Will we receive God with us like Ahaz? Or will we receive God with us like Joseph? Will this child inspire love in us? Because it's very nice to be an American Christian to believe in this thing that happened 2,000 years ago, but it's a whole other thing to follow in the way of Jesus and to let God with us transform the way we live. So how does knowing that a child is born that points to God, how does that change us? Dare we live each day in the wonder of the Creator's works as fervently displayed to us in the wonder of a child? Can we dedicate ourselves to put wonder in the forefront of our virtues knowing that humility and vulnerability following close behind will enable us to live a different kind of life. One that allows us the gift of receiving at Christmas time from our friends at work. Tearing down those walls of bitterness and pain and separateness. And knowing that if God is with us and for us, that we can embrace a childish love as well for all the wonder around us. Karl Barth said that there were two pieces of the virgin birth that astonished him. One was the profound self-limitation of God 
in Jesus that was as real as his mother was real. And the first was this. That the birth speaks to the uniqueness of Jesus as profound expression of the divine grace and sovereignty by means of which the word of God comes into human existence. This fourth week of Advent, may you choose to receive God. May you choose to embrace wonder. May you find humility and vulnerability profusely pouring out of your soul. And may you know in the midst of all of it that God is with us. Let us pray. God of all hope and joy, open our hearts and welcome that your Son, Jesus Christ, at his coming may find in us a dwelling prepared for him. He who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.